Welcome to ECI's podcast, Building Successful Businesses, where we speak to CEOs about the building blocks of their success and the lessons they've learned on the way. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Don Scales, CEO of Investors Digital and co-author of the book, How to Lead a Values-Based Professional Services Firm. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Where are you? Are you in New York? I'm in New York today, yes. At least the last few weeks I've been here, so... It's just a pretty empty street, so it's just me, pretty much me these days, especially in the office. So, <laughs> Is that quite nice, being able to sort of walk the city when it's empty? Depends on who you run into on the streets. <laughs> <laughs> it's, sometimes it can be nice, but uh, you got to kind of watch your back a little bit. So tell me a little bit about what Investors Digital does, because um, obviously it's become a global powerhouse in digital communications and marketing over the last 20 years. How has it done that? And what does it do to win such prestigious clients? Well, we started out, as you probably know, we started out in the investor relations business. And then over time, we sort of migrated to uh, corporate comms. But about five years ago, we sort of took a look at where we were and what our strategy was. And and we were... uh, we came to the conclusion that we're really in the content game more than anything else. So by doing, taking a look at how we were uh, delivering content, uh, engaging content to our clients, we actually went out and made some investments into performance marketing because the idea is if you're going to develop content for your clients and you're going to deliver it through these channels that you're building for your clients, you might as well optimize this content and make sure that uh, this content is going to be found by the people who you want to find it. So we invested three years ago in, uh, in some performance marketing assets. And ever since then, we've been going to market really with this whole concept that we call connected content, which is really a, a very unique set of skills that we that I think we bring because we bring all the stuff that's necessary to be a, a digital communication partner to our clients but now we're bringing these real skills uh, and bringing it across these uh, performance marketing capabilities as well. So you put all this together and it's a very unique uh, opportunity in the marketplace. And was that something that you were having to sell into your clients as in they were, were they already looking for it or were they kind of doing the content side, but not necessarily thinking about how to get it in front of their, their customers? I think we were a little bit ahead of our clients. I mean, I think some of them were thinking about it. Maybe they didn't exactly have an idea how they were going to do it. Or if they did have an idea that they needed these capabilities, they were going to multiple partners. And so when we came to the party, it was kind of a unique idea. And so I think people gave us a chance. The the interesting part and the reason I think this all plays out pretty well is that, look, we've been in business 20 plus years and we have over 2000 clients. And. You don't get you don't keep those clients over a long period of time unless they really trust you. And and that's really where our heritage in um, uh, investor relation comes in, because, you know, we take care of a lot of proprietary data. We do it in a confidential way and we make sure that it's delivered exactly when it needs to be delivered. So we have to we have to come through with our clients and they trust us over time. I was kind of surprised by how many people weren't. I thought maybe they had other agencies doing this, but I, we found that in many cases they weren't doing it at all. So this was sort of virgin area for us. And during 2020, have you found those needs have actually scaled up or have people sort of become more reticent to, to kind of progress their marketing? How, how have you found it changed during the crisis? 
we've actually come through the crisis very well. I mean, as we were a very resilient firm, the need for performance marketing capability and being able to reach out to clients has actually gone up, if you will, in, in some cases, because people have to be more digital in, online and, and be able to bring that. But in some cases, you know, since this was sort of a first time we had ever seen this, I think a lot of clients sort of stopped and had to readjust and figure out what we were looking at and how it was going to impact their business. So we had clients that would pausing just to see where they should be trying to figure out where they should go with this. But then over time, they started coming back in. So now we've actually uh, we picked up right where we left off uh, pre-COVID, and I think we're going to have we have a solid end of the year, and I think we're going to have a very good uh, next year as well. So I often think as well when people pause, it's fine when you do a short pause, but at, when you are sort of at that April May point, you began to realize that pause could go on for quite a while, and you do end up having just to crack on. Well, with it. but in our case, we had uh, you know we had some of some very unusual wins during that period of time. We had we sold the largest. IR site that we've ever sold as a company during the COVID period. We had the biggest, we sold the biggest project that we ever sold during this period of time. It was a, it was a connected content client, so it packaged up all these services that we were talking about. So we had some really, really uh, noteworthy wins during that. Uh, so it's been a good, I won't say it's been a good time, but it's been, a, we, we've survived it and we survived it fairly well. So I've, I've got lots of questions about your career, but uh, one of the ones I always like to start with is where it all began. So what, mm. what was your first job and what did you learn from it? So I uh, grew up in a small town in northwest Florida called Pensacola. So if you're if you're familiar with the states, it's sort of the end right on the Alabama line in Florida. And I worked in a, a dog track. Now, I don't know if that... Tra- I don't know if you have dog tracks in the UK. I assume you probably it's do. Greyhounds, right? Greyhound tracks. Yeah, it's greyhounds where you race yeah. dogs. Yes. And so my dog was actually my job was actually lead the dogs. You know, I guess that's where I got my love for dogs. I spent so much time with them. But I we'd walk them around the track, and and I think what I learned from that whole first job was that it was a team of guys. We had like eight dogs per race, and we had a team of guys that had to walk them out, and they had other guys who had to man all the other equipment and so it was a team and if you didn't show up for work or if you were just goofing off you're letting the team down and it showed because we just didn't we had to be very efficient about how quickly we got the races off and i think i learned how to work as a team how to have some fun at the same time and the other thing that it's really noteworthy here is you figure out not the star of the show it's the dog that was the star of the show <laughs> we were we were just a supporting cast so you learn you, you really learn that you're not necessarily uh the center of attention so what was the transition just given that it's not necessarily a natural one from dog racing to marketing oh well it, it goes it's it's not a straight line by any stretch <laughs> of imagination so that was in high school i actually went to college uh, my major was in chemical engineering so i always get this question what qualifications do you have to run a digital marketing company and i say i have excellent qualifications i'm a chemical engineer so i mean because it makes no sense whatsoever but i think what it does do is the engineering really gave you a sense of discipline and it gave you an understanding of how to look at 
different things, different technologies, and sort of break it down into parts and figure out how it all works together. And I think in some ways um, that that holds true in this business. I, I will say that I really got turned on to this business around the around the year 2000 when I worked for agency.com. It was, it was really the first time in my career where I saw technology come together with everyday life and, and saw it really manifest itself. Here we were building these really great websites and we were implementing technology and yet, you know, nobody really knew what you were doing. It was, it's just, a, it was a fascinating time and it sort of got into my blood and I've been doing it ever since. So, It's always, I think, quite an interesting part about the marketing role is there's almost two sides of the brain that need to be engaged. One is the more creative side, thinking about how you might want to communicate, what might a unique position be. But then there's also, especially now, so much kind of technological, analytical capabilities that you need as well. Um, So it sounds like that chemical engineering actually quite unique, probably, in the world of marketing. I still lean on my colleagues here because I have like a really great chief digital officer who knows the technologies through and through. So I sort of, I know a little bit about a lot of technologies. He knows a lot about them. So if I have a question, he can bring it down to earth and kind of explain it to me. So there's that side of it. And then I have a lot of interest like on the marketing side of things. And and so, uh, uh, you know, I, I have a good chief marketing officer and she helps me out and, and so I get the ropes over there so actually I, I enjoy what I do because I get to see it across the whole spectrum. It's back to the dog racing days you need to lean yeah, on the whole team. Exactly. That's exactly right. So you're now a, a member of the Forbes Council so a real thought leader in the world of marketing. Was there anyone as you were going through your career who stands out as giving you very valuable advice or insight? I I actually give my mother most of the credit because it's not so much the business lessons that she taught me. It was more the lessons of life. So my mother used to have a saying, no matter what you do, whether you're in a tournament or you're in school or whatever the challenge is, that somebody's going to come out on top and she doesn't see any reason it can't be you so she used to tell me that all the time and it would just and to this day i sit here and i i can't believe how motivating that was to me and almost everything i did and so and i'm not the smartest guy in the world but i i work a lot most people and i think that came from her as well because you can make you can make up a lot of ground if you're willing to put in the time and the effort to do so I think there's also a lot to that um, in terms of having someone behind you who thinks you can do anything because my mum was the same. I mean, to, I would say a ridiculous degree because I remember uh, a job came up for something like BBC Director General and she went, you should apply for that. They'd like it. And I went, no, I think that's too far. But it's really nice having that person behind you who believes you can do absolutely anything. One time we, I used to bowl a lot when I was a kid and my dad and myself, we were in a father-son bowling tournament and uh, we won my dad my dad was more proud of that than I was I think so he had to go running in the house holding up our trophy we won we won (laughs) and my mother her response was I knew you guys were gonna win (laughs) and you recently published your first book so this is how to lead a values-based professional services firm where you, you talk about the importance of purpose over products 
that feels that it's something that really resonates in the current climate in particular. And over the over time, it feels like more people are talking about purpose. Do you think brands are getting that right now? I think they're getting they're getting closer. I mean, I think it's a wide spectrum. Uh, I think some brands are probably maybe going over the line even too far. They're you know they're you know I grew up in a period where it was really only the bottom line that really mattered. So you know, nobody really cared. The only thing you ever saw about values was what was put up on a conference room wall and, and nobody ever talked about them. And now I like the way things have moved and really come to where, you know, you have even the younger staff asking you what you stand for and what we're going to do as a company, all these kinds of great things. You know, I take pride in what we've done here, but at the same time, I don't want to lose what sort of what my original values were in that we're there to make money. We're there to be a business. We got shareholders. We work for ECI. We got to make sure they stay happy. I mean, all this kind of stuff. You can't forget about that stuff. And sometimes I think with some companies probably err on the side of maybe going a little overboard with it these days. But then I think people are getting it right. They really are understanding more and more about what their values are and what they stand for. And what about when it comes to, you mentioned uh, investors being acquired businesses. How do the values yeah. translate when you've got two separate businesses coming together? Uh, see, now now you're hitting a topic right to my heart, because now the second book is now called The M&A Solution, and it's a values approach to acquisitions. And so my premise is that values compatibility. First of all, you have to start with your own set of values. And if you understand what those are at some level, and then my premise is if you go look at the companies you're looking to acquire and you take the time to go look at what the value set over there might be, and you can do that through interviews, you can do that through literature searches, whatever you might want to do. But if you take the time to understand their values and then you map these two in a way that looks for overlap and compatibility of these values, you stand a higher chance of success later on after the acquisition is complete. So that's my premise. Uh, I'm actually, it's quite a lot in the book about this because I, I actually think there's a lot to it. If you look at when you do acquisitions and you look at diligent checklists and everybody has, you got to go look at legal, you got to look at this, you got to look at that. Nobody ever says you got, you need to go look at your values. Nobody. But yet when something fails, when, when an acquisition fails, the first thing they point to was, well, the cultures didn't, the cultures didn't mesh. It was, you know, our, our values didn't align. Well, why didn't you ask that question before we did the acquisition, you know, so. And is that something you've seen not work? So is that a lesson you've oh seen Oh my in God, practice? yes. I would say, especially considering that, you know, my entire career has been in professional services. They are notorious for uh, having bad acquisitions because at the end of the day, the assets that you're looking at are, they walk out of the building every night. And so you have to protect those assets. And if they're not happy, they leave. So more often than not, acquisitions fail in professional services. And I've been a part of some real doozies. I mean, uh, you know, before this company, I was at iCrossing, we got bought by Hearst. They've had trouble from day one because they're clearly their values didn't align. I was part years and years ago, EDS bought AT Kearney, which is a management consulting firm. That marriage was not made in heaven. So, uh, you know, it just, 
it varies so much and there's so many stories that comes out of that but it's the same i think it boils down to the same thing it's just not understanding what the other side is all about and if that's one of the the lessons that you've learned during your career is that the hardest lesson you say you've learned or do you have something that you point to as the the hardest lesson you've learned during your career i think the i think the hardest lesson i've had to do deal with is you put in your blood sweat and tears into building a company up like like investus or in my case prior to this so i crossing and you exit and you sell it especially if you sell it to a strategic at the end of the day you may think that company's yours cuz you built it but they paid the money for it and they and they're going to dictate what happens and then in many cases they don't necessarily have the right idea they don't really understand the company how it ticks and so they start making bad decisions and no matter you can object to your blue in the face but it's their company to run and that's the hardest thing in the world to watch it just watch the company deteriorate before your eyes because the buyers is making a a number of bad decisions and that's that's really that's really difficult how do you cope with that i think you need to spend again i think it is a little bit of spending more time up front before you actually uh sell the company or or buy the company either whichever side of the transaction you're on you have to spend more time to understand what the company you're buying what they're all about what makes them tick and you have to you have to i think there's a certain amount of uh, understanding that the people that you're acquiring they did something right to get to that point in time they accomplished a lot in their own right just because you're buying them doesn't mean you can discount that success and you shouldn't just discount them and make these people feel like they're second class citizens because you bought them and so if you actually treat them with the same amount of respect as you would demand and you and you acknowledge their success and you give them the running room to go out and continue to do that then you stand a good chance of of more success in the future but if you just say well it's my company we're going to do it my way and I'm smarter than you then clearly you're going to have trouble down the line and i think too many, too often you see that in acquisitions so from when you first started building these digital agencies to now what do you think that scale of success and having done uh, so many excellent kind of acquisitions and going on and selling these companies what does what has it taught you about yourself as a person I think it's one of the leadership characteristics I'm I'm very proud of which is it it's consistency. You have to be the same leader every day. Whether it's a good day or a bad day, whether you sold the biggest contract in your history or you just lost the biggest client you had. Either way, you need to be the same kind of person. So if you come if you come in every day and you you wear your your feelings on your sleeve and somebody says something you spout off to them and then the next day you're all nice some people aren't going to know how to approach you if they know you as a person and they can come in and talk to you and you talk to them the same way and they trust you to go do what you need to do i mean i i believe that's really how you build these things and you get people that have a the same kind of motivations you do i i'd give anything to, for investors to build this thing and we've done fantastic and it's all because 
we got a great team and and that's what we've done from day one and when we exit we'll keep going i meant it's i'm looking forward to the next the next phase of this journey so I completely agree. I think um, consistency is often underrated as a quality. No one ever sort of sings and shouts about it. But actually, you really feel it when someone is inconsistent and one day they'll behave in a certain way or react in a certain way and you never quite know where you sit. Um, So actually being consistent and uh, especially when you're in a leadership role, I think is super important. So last question from me. What, What advice would you give to entrepreneurs who are at the start of the journey now? I've had the opportunity to take over for a couple of different founders, but I think the one that, that I really relate to is the guy who started iCrossing. He's truly a visionary, and he was very strategic in nature. And, but yet, it, that you know, that the the execution side of that wasn't his strong suit. And so the the credit I gave him was he took he decided that he needed somebody like me to come in and help him execute on his vision. And I think that's a, a valuable lesson for entrepreneurs that you can be incredibly smart, but it's very rare that you got, you're so smart and you, have, and you have all the managerial skills that you can carry a company from its infancy all the way through to wherever the exit or IPO or whatever leads. I mean, you know, the Bill Gates of the world or the Zuckerbergs, you don't, you know, those are kind of rarities because at every stage of maturity in a company's life, there's a certain set of skills that the CEO needs to have in order to sort of navigate that period of time. And in summary, I think it's just understand who you are and what your skill sets are, and and don't be afraid to go get somebody to help you out. Thanks, Don. That's super helpful, and it's really interesting, I think, to hear about how purpose-driven culture is changing and how it's working at Investus. My pleasure. Thank you.